Hey there, welcome to the Next Level Nutrition Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Long, business coach for nutritionists. I help nutritionists just like you create and launch their business and sign their first high-paying client. In this podcast, you'll learn practical strategies to start and grow your nutrition business that you can implement right away. You'll also hear from a ton of guests who have started their own thriving nutrition businesses and share what they've learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Next Level Nutrition Biz podcast. Today I have my friend and an amazing human being here, Cassandra Hope, to talk all about um, what is it to be a trauma-informed practitioner. And I wanted to actually dig a little bit deeper into a post that she put on Instagram, um, I think about a month ago, that really touched me and I know touched a lot of other practitioners that were listening to it as well or reading it as well. Um, a lot about, you know, this idea of like holding space versus cheerleading or witnessing versus projecting on our clients. And we're going to dig a lot deeper into this. Uh, but I knew she was the right person to come on to talk about, you know, what is it to be trauma informed and how can we actually um, support our clients healing um, instead of, um, you know, just cheerleading them or just telling them you can do it? Like, how can we go a little bit deeper with them and really support them? So let me tell you about Cassandra. So Cassandra Hope is a functional trauma therapist who helps women recover from chronic illness after periods of intense stress. She offers a trauma-informed practitioner training that supports practitioners, including nutritionists, naturopathic doctors, massage therapists, personal trainers, etc., to learn the subtle but very powerful language of the nervous system and how being trauma-informed can deeply support their clients' healing. Thank you so much for being here, Cassandra. I'm so excited. Thank you for the awesome intro. Always amazing chatting with you. I love it. Love it. Yeah, this is... Definitely a conversation I am excited that you're going to lead because it's something I know a little bit about, but you are really that go-to person when it comes to um, anything like trauma-informed, how to be that trauma-informed practitioner, um, how to run a practice and work with clients where you're like really honoring your clients' needs and where they're at versus guess for better lack of word, uh, bulldozing over them or having your own agenda. I think you're a really good example of how to work with a client. So really excited to get into this with you. Um, before we kind of go into the trauma-informed part, I would love for you to just explain um, to everybody, like, what brought you to nutrition to begin with? And what is your story with, you know, uh, becoming a nutrition practitioner and, and then be- now becoming a trauma therapist? Yeah, thank you. It was quite the journey. Um, You know, I think nutrition always was something that uh, subconsciously held a lot of power and value because my mother got sick with cancer when I was four and we became vegetarian and started juicing and very plant-based, obviously, to um, help her stay in remission. And um, I just started learning like fresh juice and vegetables and sprouts on my sandwich was like a good thing, right? Um, but after that, when my mom, she actually, part of, uh, the issue was she had cervical cancer. So she had to get a hysterectomy and she didn't go on bioidentical hormones, which, um, that partnered with her unresolved trauma and that level of hormone dysregulation set the stage for her psychosis. So she, um, I went through a lot of trauma with my mom as a young girl up into my early teens 
um, because of that kind of perfect storm of her falling through the cracks of the medical system, um, her trauma not being dealt with uh, from her childhood, sexual abuse and stuff like that, that, you know, and, and this is all relevant because what I do now in my work is, is so much rooted in seeing people for who they are, picking up on the subtleties so that we have the best chances of allowing them to feel safe and therefore more open to medical interventions, whether it's allopathic or holistic. Because I saw, you know, I saw my mother unravel from being an active part of my life to um, completely dissociating and unplugging from the family unit. So when I turned, you know, maybe late 20s, my unresolved trauma kind of came to a head and I got really, really sick. I was living in a moldy um, loft. I didn't know at the time. I was so constipated, so um, in pain, so sick and tired all the time that I enrolled in, um, in school to become an RHN. And I was convinced that I was going to heal my, my everything through nutrition. And what I ended up finding was that uh, holistic nutrition principles actually was making me much sicker because um, I had unresolved, undiagnosed mold issues. And, you know, high fiber diet was just not the thing for me at the time. But um, as we all learn, nutrition school is entry level education. And it's up to us to continue the education after to really refine it. But it was um, very confusing uh, process thinking, oh my God, I just invested all this time and money into fixing my body um, through nutrition. And here I am not fixed. And that's ultimately what started the process of me really starting to learn why whole food nutrition isn't often enough to help somebody recover from food intolerances and self-infections and all of the things. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because would you even say, I mean, this is a conversation I have with a lot of nutrition practitioners or people that go to nutrition school. And sometimes um, if there was an underlying issue already, especially like relationship with food, relationship with their body, what they thought about food rules that they had around food, you know, sometimes nutrition school can make that even worse because we're not helping those underlying, you know, problems or like the trauma that's there before, uh, which, you know, is kind of like that, like hush, hush. Like we don't talk about that a lot in this industry, right. but I think it's happening a lot because I have a lot of conversations with people where they come out of school and sometimes there's more damage than good. Um, that's not everybody's experience, but yeah, a lot of the time that can happen. So like, did you find that in your practice? Because you did work with nutrition clients, like, and I believe like called yourself a nutritionist for a, a while. Did you find that you could like help someone to a point? And then there was always like this point where you're like, why aren't they making progress? Yes. Or what's wrong? Or why, what am I doing that's wrong? And is that where kind of like this deeper layer of this like trauma informed training came in? Exactly. Um, I was lucky enough just maybe a year or so after graduating school to partner with a naturopathic doctor who specializes in um, functional gastroenterology. And she took me under her wing. We opened up uh, the IBS Academy. I started specializing in SIBO. And we had a really good, we had a good run. We had an amazing um, collaborative four years of seeing a lot of success, a lot of progress in our clients. But what was happening was I would see in clinic and also on the forums, 
that people were relapsing all the time. SIBO, um, SIBO treatment got kind of like poo-pooed. Like people would start to say, you know, there's no point in doing a SIBO protocol because it just comes back. And I was like, well, why is it coming back? Why does this come back? What is going on? So that's what led me to understanding that the autonomic nervous system is what's controlling your duodenum, your pancreatic exocrine function, your motility, your ability to produce hydrochloric acid and fight off pathogens. Like if your autonomic system is stuck in overdrive because, and this is part of being trauma informed is once people go through one or several traumas, trauma being something that happens too fast, too soon and too much and, or too much, too fast, too soon. And think of how many times that happens, how many um, situations our clients have, whether it's in the examination room as a young girl getting your first vaginal exam and nobody's explaining to you what's happening ahead of time and you're scared and your mom's not in the room to witnessing divorce and like the worst sides of your, your core um, parental connections, like where you're learning about yourself and family and worthiness and communication Think of the amount of situations that we experience that are traumatic. And what happens is the nervous system rewires itself. So to better prep you for imminent threat, and this is what's kept us alive for hundreds of thousands of years. But if we're, if we're not addressing how to recognize those signs of reorganization in the nervous system and nurture and, and teach our clients how to nurture that dysregulation, we're ultimately throwing a bunch of protocols at a person. We're treating the paper and not the person. And that's why I'm so passionate about teaching these principles of trauma-informed therapy because people don't know they need it until they understand why they're not resolving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Can we even talk about like what it might look like to not be trauma-informed? Um, so like what, like what, what a classic, and this is not to like put anybody down if they're currently doing this in their practice, but just so they can recognize like, what would it look like in a nutrition kind of consultation to not be trauma informed? Yes. Um, so the first thing would be a lack of empathy. So if you're not empathizing or thinking about what the client experience is like from requesting a discovery call to how you wrap your final session, if we're not getting out of our own ways and thinking about, you know, we're, we're often just trying to make ends meet and make, and make our name in the industry and figure out, you know, how to do lead magnets and how to do all of the business side of things that the time that it takes to really open up the lens and get a bird's eye perspective of what the client experience might be like. So if we are demanding or there's a hierarchical energy, right? And demanding doesn't sound, um, it's, it, what I mean by that is we have these business standards and business practices that, you know, we're encouraged to refine and get clear on and have boundaries. And if you're working with traumatized people, that isn't always going to work, right? So somebody who's chronically ill and deals with bipolar disorder, if they cancel within 24 hours and they lose that session, that's fair from a patriarchal point of view, from a capitalistic kind of, hey, you're in my machine. I need you to work at my level. I get that. Like, I get it. We have to have standards. But how can we customize it so that it works for both the business 
and the clients so that we're empathetic and we understand that it's not black and white. It's actually very gray and people are so at their core, so subconsciously afraid of not being seen and validated and loved and accepted, including their practitioners. So we really do need to make sure that we are taking on people who we trust. We, we trust that we can create a lot of value and in turn how they show up is going to land okay for us too. Like we know how to work with that personality type, right? When we go in just being like, you have to fit into this box and it doesn't work, that's going to lead to possible shame in the client feeling like, look how fucked up I am. The story that I keep playing in my mind is actually true. I can't even get a practitioner to help me. Um, that's just one example, but my whole, my whole business from start to finish, everything is coming from a trauma informed lens. How might they feel in terms of, um, the pitch process or asking for the business or God, there's just so many things. So yeah, one of the modules Mm -hmm. is trauma informed business practices where we go through like letters of agreement, where do you keep it so that they have access? How can you keep them? as informed as possible through the process because trauma happens when people, when things happen too much, too fast, too soon. So Mm -hmm. when we can slow it down and collaborate versus have a hierarchical approach, it's um, a lot more beneficial for the client because their nervous system feels safe Mm -hmm. and a safe nervous system means your pancreas, your gallbladder, your kidneys, your sex organs are getting innervation. They're getting blood, nutrition, oxygen flow. Um, And this isn't like woo-woo stuff. This is based on the last 20 years of neuroscience showing if you're in a trauma state, a stress state, and you're not in your parasympathetic uh, state predominantly, you're you're inflammatory. You're not going to heal. How would we know that a client is experiencing trauma? Um, this kind of a twofold question, like, should we assume every client is coming with some trauma or do we uncover this in like the intake process or how are we, how are we uncovering this as something that we need to be addressing with that potential client? Definitely. So I would say one of the best things that a practitioner can do to have the, um, the ears to pick up on this and the eyes to pick up on this is for them to do their own trauma work because how we miss it is if we haven't looked at our own trauma, we, we have blinders on, right? So it's, it's a process. It's an art form. It's not something that, um, my 12 week training is going to wholly, fully 360 approach it because it's a constant learning. It's a constant, mm-hmm. um, awareness that we have to develop And that is probably the most powerful and quick way to identify it is to do our own trauma work. But really, it could be anything from, you know, the intake. What traumas have you experienced? Um, I would always preface to say, um, please make it point form. Don't get too into the trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really important. And the trauma work that I do is we do not relive the trauma. It's not about going back into the story. It's really about understanding how it's impacted your physiology and the power that you have to shift that going forward. 
Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, for me, I'm watching somebody's tone of voice. You're listening or their facial expressions. You're listening to their tone of voice. If they get cracky, if they can't make eye contact, um, Mm -hmm. if they start being shifty, if they lose Mm -hmm. their train of thought and they just can't go there, right? It seems difficult for them. What's happening is the nervous system is responding to something that it feels overwhelmed with. It doesn't yet have strategy or there's been a buildup of neurochemicals in the body because they haven't processed that trauma. So you can see it. You can feel it in somebody. Yeah. So like I'm so on board with all of this. I think this is necessary work that should be included in, you know, the nutrition programs that we're learning, because I think if we start working in our practice, not understanding that this is a piece of it, we might, like I mentioned earlier in your um, intro, you know, we might end up uh, bulldozing people. We might end up making them feel, you know, insecure or not validated, or, um, you know, we might really, I don't know the word to use. I don't want to say ruin the relationship, yeah. but we might break it in in a way. And I guess the biggest question that I have then is for people who aren't receiving this type of training within school, um, are they allowed to go there with their clients um, and talk about trauma or um, are they allowed to, you know, bring this up? Because I think one fear that a lot of people have is, am I going with like, am I going out of my scope here? Yeah. So what do you say to that? Or what like recommendations do you have if somebody feels like, you know, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about this. I don't know if now I'm all of a sudden a counselor or a therapist, if I approach this topic, but also knowing that they need to consider this topic as part of the picture. So I'm just curious of your thoughts. Right. Yeah. So I would say for people who don't feel fully rooted and grounded in having a 360 conversation uh, around trauma, being that you're definitely able to create a safe container where whatever comes up in that container, you feel congruent with the fact that you can hold space, you can redirect, and you can provide aftercare that really helps the client feel super supported and safe. And the aftercare can be both availability, so saying, I am available. You can reach out to me if it's an emergency, please. You know, these are the steps that I would take, but I'm here to hold space or unpack stuff after the session. Um, But also guiding them on how they can create a safe space for them for aftercare. So is it candles? Is it turning your phone off? Is it, you know, putting, making your bed and making it really cozy, you know, putting your favorite Netflix show on and just zoning out? Like it's, it's, it's really allowing them to have, the awareness that they have options of how they can care for themselves pre and post vulnerability, call it a vulnerability hangover where, you know, you might go deep with somebody, start sharing your trauma and then you get off the phone and you're like, well, I don't know if I'm available to share with them afterward or what they might think of me if there's judgment or, you know, it's always good to think about, the maternal energy that you received as a young child, if you had a healthy relationship with your mom, they would be looking at you, eye contact, the tone of voice would be calming and soothing. You would be open, your body language would be open, and you would be letting them know that everything is okay. However, they're showing up is okay. They're safe to be vulnerable with you. 
and give you some like um, giving them some guidelines as to this is what you can expect from me in terms of availability to share this process with you. I think that's one of the biggest things is we, we tie a lot of our, our worth to hourly. So, okay, we have this hour long session um, and anything outside of that session, please direct it via email. And, and, you know, if it's not too long, I'll hold space for it. Otherwise book another mm-hmm. session. Right. And that's coming from that patriarchal place where we're kind of treating it like allopathic medical doctors do book with my assistant or my office admin you get that time with me and then book again if you need to see me. When we're coaches and we're really invested in helping people to rehabilitate themselves, right? This isn't for everybody. If you're somebody who likes to just stick to nutrition, medical diets and protocols, that's fine. Not everybody has to be trauma informed. But if you really want to be somebody who is helping them to rewire their nervous system, giving them the best chances of um, overcoming chronic illness and chronic pathology, the way that we meet them in terms of like, and it's not anything new, babe. This is age old. We've evolved to be trauma informed with each other. We would sit in communities and hold space and listen without projecting and without rushing and really holding space in a way that helps them to remember who they are. We're not telling them who they are. So when we bring the neuroscience into it and we say, ah, well, there's actually this um, pathophysiology behind that response. It's not a personality trait. This is why these, you know, words like uh, procrastination or self-sabotage, they are not trauma-informed terms because nobody is actually self-sabotaging or procrastinating. It's a symptom of an overwhelmed nervous system. So when we can Mm -hmm. teach them that, it's about getting people out of the shame cycle. Stop the shame cycle. We're often gaslit. If people don't have time to hear us and understand us and they haven't experienced it, then it's not valid in a lot of people's eyes. And that's not mm-hmm. that the trauma informed approach is to say, I'm curious and I'm here to witness you. Right? I'm mm-hmm. open. Giving them that space. Yes. Yeah. That was something I heard all the time. Um, you know, and a lot of clients would break down because they'd be like, you're the first person to listen to me. You know, I, I've gone to so many doctors or so many other practitioners who were too busy to take the time and and you're, you just listening is worth it, uh, which felt, you know, like validating to me to be like, okay, I'm on the right path if I'm listening, but that should be available everywhere. Like, why am I the first person that has sat down and listened to someone? Um, and I think that this kind of just, I want to like refer back to the post I mentioned earlier, where you really kind of like showed like what we might be doing in our practice versus another way to look at it. So I just want to read it out and maybe we can talk a little bit about some of these ideas. So you said, um, it's about holding space versus cheerleading, witnessing versus projecting, validating versus alienating, slowing down versus rushing transparency versus dictatorship, collaborating versus telling, acknowledging versus diverting and establishing safety over reinforcing dysregulation. Which when I read this, I was like, whoa, there is a lot (laughs) to unpack in this post. And I feel like this is 
really what a lot of us are doing. We're cheerleading, we're projecting our thoughts and our ideas about nutrition. We might be alienating the client because of this. We're rushing through the session. We're telling them do X, Y, Z, and we're not asking them, does this feel good to you? We're telling them um, and we're not establishing that safety, you know? And again, I don't think this is to blame us, but we didn't receive that type of training. And I think when we're working with people, you know, being able to hold space means you need to feel comfortable to hold space yourself or being able to witness, like you said, some of your own trauma or some of your own experiences or feel validated yourself. And I think it's so hard to go out and help other people when we haven't helped ourselves yet, um, because then we project most of the stuff that we're experiencing on other people. Ready to start your nutrition business but have no idea what steps you need to take? No problem. That's exactly why I've created a completely free workshop for you called Six Steps to Start Your Nutrition Biz and Sign Your First Paying Clients. In this on-demand workshop, I'm sharing my six-step roadmap to starting a successful nutrition business without a huge social media following or years of experience. I'll also share the top three mistakes I see most new nutritionists making when starting their business and how to avoid them, and the must-have tools you need to run a successful nutrition business and wow your clients from day one. Oh, and did I mention that the workshop is completely free? Sign up at stephanielong.ca slash workshop and get instant access right now. So I would really like to talk about the holding space versus cheerleading, because I think a lot of us think we need to be the cheerleader, think we need to be that, you know, like you've got it person. But is this hurting the relationship with the client by by being this cheerleading type of person or practitioner? Such a great question. I, I would say it's hurting it in the sense that the autonomic nervous system can sniff out bullshit a mile away. It's the most refined and high-tech surveillance system on the planet. There's nothing like our autonomic system. So just a little bit of data, our nervous system is receiving over 2 million bits of information per second. Our cognitive brain can only process 175 bits of those 2 million bits of information. So our conscious mind is processing minimal amounts. Our autonomic system is picking up everything else. And there's a term for it called neuroception. It's coined by Dr. Stephen Forges. And neuroception is the term, you know, when you just get a vibe about somebody, you connect or you mm-hmm. don't connect, you feel safe or you mm-hmm. don't feel safe. It's That's the neuroceptive process. So when you are showing up in a trauma-informed way and not cheerleading when you want to actually hold space, what we're doing once you, once you learn about the polyvagal theory, not you, but theoretical you, um, yeah. once we learn about the polyvagal theory and we understand that based on evolution, our autonomic nervous system needs certain types of interactions and input in order to enter its ventral vagal state. And its ventral vagal state, think of a vent opening up and everything airs out and it's all good, right? We want to be ventral because that's where your learning capacity gets online. Your problem solving capacity gets online. That's where social engagement happens, where you actually want to be social. And that's medicine. You know, one thing we've learned from COVID is isolation equals inflammation. We do not do well when we're not with community because evolutionarily, we that could mean that we would die. That means that our tribe is possibly not going to feed us, not protect us. We would be fed to the wolves, literally. So 
when we feel connected, when we feel safe, we're not being rushed. We're not, somebody's not talking over us. Somebody's not projecting their views or their limited capacity to understand our experience on us. Then we're able to stay ventral because that's social connection. That's the, that's the social engagement system. And the vagus nerve is what picks up all of that. So we are deeply, deeply, um, you know, programmed very well to tell tone of voice, body language, facial expressions of somebody to pick up the micro expressions in somebody to know whether we are safe or not. And it doesn't, it it gets more complex than that because based on that person's experiences, their limbic system is going to remember tones of voice, body language, colors, body sizes, et cetera, that could potentially be dangerous again. So that's why I think it's so important to be a pillar of strength and stability as a practitioner, because we have all these people coming in with past traumas that we know nothing about, that if we're speaking it too quickly, if we're over talking over them, if we're not witnessing their truth, witnessing their story, that might remind them of an emotionally unavailable parent. That's going to automatically shut them down or a teacher that treated them like shit in school and talked over them and, you know, berated them. So when we can understand the core needs that a human being needs in order to feel safe, we can show up in that way and practice without them even knowing. They don't need to know we're trauma-informed. It doesn't need to be a trauma-focused session. It just needs to be set up in a way that we're like, I know based on evolution, based on the autonomic nervous system's needs, I know I'm checking these boxes. And that, through neuroception, is creating safety in their bodies without them even knowing. They just like you. They want to come back. They feel safe. Mm. They tell their friends about you because you're awesome. You make them feel Mm. safe. Wow. Yeah, that is all um, a lot to think through. This is all this is very much blowing my mind. (laughs) And I love talking to you because I'm like, you're just like a treasure trove of information. And I love how you can explain this in a way that feels so practical and how we can actually bring this into session. Um, Because I think, you know, it feels like learning about trauma feels like a big thing to learn about. And it doesn't necessarily feel um, accessible. And I love how you're like showing us like, here's an easy way to bring this into your session. You don't have to say you're a trauma-informed nutritionist or practitioner. You just need to have these tools in your toolbox so that you can approach uh, people and make them feel safe, which I think that's why we got into this work. We want people to feel healthy and safe and cared for. Um, Another point that I was even thinking about, I'm curious on your thoughts here, but um, you know, I'm a big proponent or I'm a big fan of um, trying to work one-on-one with clients first before moving into something like a group setting because the dynamics are so different. I think so many of us want to work with a group because it makes more sense. We can make more money, help more people. and, And, you know, for some that can work. But I think if we're not informed enough on how to support multiple people in a container, this can go really badly. Um... So that's my opinion is, you know, start with one-on-one and I'm curious of your thoughts, if you agree, like to even practice out how to listen, how to hold space, how to be transparent in like a one-on-one setting so that if you choose to expand your practice and work, you know, in a group, then you can um, 
modulate or balance a group of people because everyone's like, you know, if we're talking about trauma and we have a group of 10 people with all their different traumas, that could get really messy and noisy. So what are your thoughts about like the one-on-one versus group? Yeah. Um, it's funny when I, when I started my trauma specific therapy, it was at women's college hospital and it was through a group trauma recovery program called, um, trauma informed, uh, no resourced and resiliency. And uh, resilient. It was wonderful. It was like 12 weeks with a group of about 15 women um, in a room once a week. And we were there for two hours. And the way that the psychiatrist um, basically, like, I want to say prefaced, but like the way they lined everything up to allow us to know ahead of time, this is what the training is for, and this is what it's not for. So if you're like group trainings should be very boundary and should, everything should be very clear in my opinion, because the boundaries are not to make people feel um, like they don't have a voice. It's again, a, a safe meeting place for everybody to be like, I can bring enough of myself to this container where I'm not leaving feeling a vulnerability hangover, like I wasn't seen validated or safe. So it's up to us as practitioners to lay that out. So at the beginning of any group training, I'll always have a pledge that I read out and it has, you know, all of the, what's the word, like, um, like the ins and outs of privacy and non-disclosure and, you know, not sharing information. And then also, Um, you know, this is going to be a 45 minute lecture. There's questions afterward. If anybody needs to turn their camera off, turn their mic off, mm-hmm. exit the session early. Um, if you want to reach out afterward to share how that session was for you, please know that we're here. We're available. Um, but it's definitely, I think when it's a free for all and people just start to share, they, They, I don't know if you if you identify with this, but I've seen it happen so many times where people just want to be heard so desperately that they will blah, just spew out all kinds of stuff that might not even be relevant to the content that day. And again, that is somebody who so desperately wants to be seen and heard and validated. They're feeling unloved. They're feeling unseen. And this is probably a really old story. So how we show up in that moment by sidestepping passive aggressiveness or irritation that this person is oversharing or, you know, taking over, trying to take mm-hmm. over the conversation. When we understand with empathy why they might be doing that and then saying, hey, I see you. I see how much this matters. I see how heavy this is landing for you. And I'm going to invite you to reach out to me afterward to hold space to have a conversation if you like. Because I don't think you're going to get the level of support that I feel you deserve in this moment. So let's pick this up later, Kay. There's no patronizing, no condescending, no irritation. Um, You're right. It is a big responsibility to host a group where they might be bringing their vulnerabilities to the table. And we do need to know how to manage that boundary wise. Mm -hmm. I can understand how it's important to. validate people and make them feel heard. And and like I mentioned earlier, I think because that's 
I believe one of the number one reasons why a lot of people seek out an alternative practitioner is because they know they have that time and space to go a little bit deeper and potentially the conventional method hasn't been working for them. Um, So I think like it's kind of doing people a disservice to not give them that level of support and attention that they so desire. Um, But like you've kind of mentioned here, there's like ways to go about being trauma-informed and ways to not (laughs) approach like a a consultation or some kind of uh, work with your clients where you are kind of perpetuating these feelings that they're already, you know, feeling like inside themselves. So let's talk maybe like next steps for what they can do right now um, to become more trauma-informed. If this sounds like something they're they're listening to this conversation, they're like, wow, this is something I would love to learn more about. Um, maybe can you give them like one or two steps they could take right now to become trauma-informed? And then if you could talk about your training, your training pro- program, I would love that as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. No yeah. doubt. Thank you. Um, so I would say the the most awesome first step is to learn about the polyvagal theory. So the polyvagal theory is kind of this roadmap of sorts for the nervous system and understanding the three different pathways that somebody's nervous system might choose to enter based on stimuli. So if the stimuli is too much and it's not just like too much in the sense of conversation or overwhelmed with work and to do's, it could be too much in the sense that their autonomic nervous system is under attack from uh, toxicities and chronic infections and stealth infections. That is also going to be sending nerve impulses and hormone um, signaling to the brain that we're under attack and to upregulate the trauma response of inflammation, adrenaline, cortisol, et cetera. So some people, it's not so much about trauma in terms of familial stuff or interpersonal stuff, but they are unfortunately susceptible to chronic illness and toxicity leading to medical trauma. So um, when we can see the signs, so it's so, it's so freaking easy once you get it, there's three pathways. If somebody's more, so hypothyroid, constipation, lethargy, chronic fatigue, they are more in a dorsal vagal response. That's like the bottom of the, the ladder. Okay. That's where it's a life-saving response. It's the oldest branch of the nervous system. We share it with every mammal on the planet. It's reptilian. Um, if you see a frog in nature and it freezes, it's in a dorsal vagal response. That's its defense mechanism against potential threat. We do the same thing. Okay. So we'll collapse, dissociate, become sluggish in terms of pathology. It's more hypo functioning. And when we can see those tendencies in somebody's personality, in their, their movement style, in their um, pathology presentation, we can say, ah, okay. So they're in a dorsal vagal response. We want to get them ventral. We want to get them at the top of the ladder. How do we do that? And that's what the training is about is recognizing when somebody's in a trauma response And then using the neuroscience research to implement tools and strategies to, because we can hack the nervous system just because they're dorsal doesn't mean they have to stay dorsal. We can help facilitate the movement out of that, but we have to go into a mobilized state to do that. So the second branch is the fight or flight state. And that's where we get people feeling their emotion in a safe way. That's where we get people talking about things, journaling, Um, moving, 
right? Like actually getting into movement that helps to clear these, these, um, overwhelming neurochemicals or overwhelming, um, biochemicals that are spanking us and keeping us dorsal and low. So that is an art form also, right? Like we want to introduce the right type of behavioral medicine at the right time. But then the cool thing is once they process the mobilization or the fight or flight state, they are then able to go ventral. How good does it feel after you cry when you have a good clearing conversation with somebody and you have a good ugly cry and you feel it feels medicinal because it is, you actually are shifting the nervous system into its ventral state. So that's the polyvagal theory in a really bastardized kind of like that way, but it is powerful. It's powerful. Yeah. Wow. So we kind of, we want to be in a ventral state. That's like the idea. Okay. Yeah. I like that. The venting. Yes. Venting things out. That's going to stick with me. Yeah. 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 Okay. So tell us for a second about the trauma-informed practitioner training, um, you know, where can people learn about that? What is it about kind of in a nutshell? Um, because I think this is, a, like I've mentioned many times throughout this conversation, a missing piece that I just feel so clearly you are going to pave the way for practitioners to be trauma-informed and more people need to know about this training. So tell us a little, a little bit about it and where they can find more about the you know, program at. Even hearing you say that feels so right and so surreal. Because, because when I first started learning about Trump being trauma-informed and I realized that I wasn't trauma-informed, I felt so far away from ever being trauma-informed. And I'll share with people who might be feeling a bit intimidated by this is just like, okay, it's in our fiber to be trauma-informed. It's a remembering. You already know how to do it. It's a remembering. And just like tying your shoelace when you're a kid and your mom is there, your dad's there and they're teaching you how to do the bunny ears and you got to focus and loop it. And, you know, you get frustrated if you're not getting it right. That's the learning process, right? So don't worry about being able to tie your shoelace perfectly on day one or even before the lesson. We only know what we know. It's one step at a time. We keep trying. It becomes effortless eventually, right? It becomes part of our fiber. Um, so the program is really there to, it's written in a trauma informed way, keeping in mind that people might be coming in with some shame that they haven't been trauma informed. I don't, I don't condone uh, shame for anybody, you know, let's just look at what we need to do and move forward in a a safe way with, with, you know, like-minded people who are all rooting for us to succeed so that we can help others succeed, right? This is the most selfless work that we can do, in my opinion. So the training is for um, holistic practitioners. So people who see the value of recommending lifestyle recommendations outside of their one-on-one time. So you might, you know, if you're a nutritionist, you're like, okay, I want you to focus on eating these foods. If you're a massage therapist, you might say, I want you to focus on these Um, stress relieving techniques or stretching techniques. If you're a personal trainer, they've got their own workouts outside of your Mm -hmm. one-on-one time. But, or, and when we start to bring in all of these other ways of measuring biofeedback, right? So how, what's their heart rate variability like? What's their resistance to meditation and yoga? How can we put a more trauma-informed lens on and saying, hey, that's okay. That's not your mode of exercise or your mode of self-regulation. It's not, it's not for you right now. It might be in the future. 
But right now we're going to look at these tools to help you regulate because that's just not available yet. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's very much about looking at, because I've been a nutritionist, a personal trainer, fascial stretch therapist. I look at all of the different ways that clients might present. Where are their roadblocks? Why do we lose client and patient adherence? And then how do we troubleshoot that? So it's very much theory and practical, theory and practical, theory and practical. Hmm. So they'd be learning like the why behind like, or what is trauma and being a trauma-informed practitioner, everything about polyvagal theory, like all of the why and what, and then they're going to learn the tools of how to implement this with their actual clients. So that they can build it into their programs. They can create modules around heart rate variability tracking, for example, as a way to see if they're in their parasympathetic state and able to learn and able to take on your lifestyle recommendations. Um, so all, the map of all of the 12, um, modules are on the website, bewellwithhope.com and it's under the trauma informed practitioner training. Um, there's some more info there and there's also my free two hour masterclass that I just ran. Um, I, uh, shared the link with you guys. So, you know, if you're listening, you can check that out. It's free. It's on YouTube. And that is a really good taste of what the training will be be like perfect yeah I'll make sure I have all the links in the show notes for the practitioner um, training sales page and the masterclass replay and your Instagram where can people find you on Instagram yep so it's be well with hope um all of my handles YouTube I'm not really on Facebook but um Instagram and YouTube is is um is be well with hope and YouTube has more like longer interviews with doctors and functional practitioners on healing chronic illness and trauma. Oh, I didn't know you had a YouTube. Oh, I'm about to go binge all of the videos because everything you put out is, is so good. And I, I mean, selfishly, I'm so excited that you're focusing a little bit more on practitioners now because um, all of the content you put out resonates so much with me and um, I know it's going to help so many people. So Thank you for spending your time and sharing. And um, I mean, I could probably have a five hour conversation with you about all of this. So thank you for giving us a breakdown of everything. And um, I hope that this has been helpful for everyone to kind of get that first, you know, sneak peek or or lens into what is like being a trauma informed practitioner um, and hopefully can take the next step, you know, through your masterclass or by joining the program. So exactly. Thanks again for coming. This has been awesome. And uh, You're welcome back anytime. (laughs) I always love chatting with you and I hope to see you live in BC soon. We can have that five hour combo. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We will. Okay. Thanks, Cassandra. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening in. If you like this episode, feel free to leave us a review, share the episode with a friend or take us on social media. Catch you next time.